You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord out there, everyone in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. We're so glad to be on with you again today. Oh, boy, I tell you, our last uh, series on the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that four-part series was the, the bomb. I've got a lot of uh, positive feedback about it. And uh, we're about to embark on another three-part series that you're going to find very, very interesting. And it's called The Long Delay. The Long Delay. It is based on uh, what we learn uh, from Second Peter chapter number three, uh, where Peter talks about uh, mockers coming, saying, where's the promises of his coming, the Lord's coming, and how Peter responds to that is very, very interesting. And it informs us Christians today uh, during this generation. The first century Christians had a very interesting perspective, but here we are 21 centuries later, and the rapture still has not happened yet. Oh, glory to God, but it's going to happen. Listen, stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss another episode of this exciting, exciting journey called the Revelation Revolution. At this time, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you are doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for everyone that is tuned into this podcast, and we ask you to bless them, keep them. Lord God, open up their understanding that they may hear what thus saith the Lord from the word of God. And Father, we ask in you to continue to bless them and lead and guide them in all truth. And Lord God, uh, open their eyes, open their hearts, open their minds, that they might hear what thus saith saith the Lord for this end time that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I tell you, we're going to have another good time again. Um, uh, but before we start, I just want to uh, lace a, a few uh, ground rules uh, to where we're coming from in my series of teaching. Uh, most people who are pre-trib and or, or dispensational, uh, that's the, that's the uh, uh, theological uh, uh, 
uh, eschatological scheme uh, that a lot of people in the United States uh, uh, adhere to because that's what's taught in the colleges and uh, uh, that's what most, I would say most people are pre-trib. And pre-tribulationism has an interesting effect on the book of the Revelation. And what I mean by that is because pre-trib teaches that the age of the church closes out in chapter number three of the book of the Revelation, uh, glory to God, uh, uh, in the church, the word church isn't found, you know, they use all kinds of reasons. The word church isn't found after that. And uh, the people that are referred to as the saints are some other group of Christ, uh, uh, believers, but they're not Christians. They're quote unquote, the tribulation saints, and uh, but not the church. Uh, and one of the main reasons why uh, they say that is because by this point, the restrainer, of 2 Thessalonians, it's a restraining force that's holding back the revealing of the Antichrist. They have always taught that that was the Holy Spirit and and working through the church to restrain evil uh, in the world. Well, number one, they don't have any scriptures to back that up. That's just a a declaration that they've made ever since John Nelson Darby made it uh, uh, in his writings and he brought it over to the United States. Basically, um, the proof text that they use to prove that are found in like Genesis 6, 3 and Isaiah 59, 17, 59, 19, I believe, uh, 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 a few passages from uh, the Gospel of John and then uh, 1 John 4 and 4, uh, they use those scriptures and then a few other analogous type of scriptures where they uh, talk about we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth and salt salt is a preservative and all of that. they, you know, they leave the breadcrumbs, you know, and they kind of like go down this trail, uh, 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 tying the tea leaves together, so to speak, and trying to make all these scriptures work to make um, uh, to make that doctrine. But the act, the but the actual problem is, is this: uh, they have no scriptures to actually back up that the restrainer of Second Thessalonians is the Holy Spirit. Uh, what they failed to factor in when they were determining who is the Holy Spirit is the fact that the beast who, uh, also ascends from the bottomless pit. Now, where do we get this from? Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, when the two witnesses are killed, uh, they usually they say by the Antichrist, what they fail to, to, to emphasize is, is the fact that the, uh, the, 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 the Bible actually says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit makes war with them. Now, when you understand that the beast comes from the bottomless pit, glory to God, is his first mention in Revelation is not Revelation 13, it's actually 11, Revelation 11, 7. His first mention connects the beast to the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is actually a prison for demons. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, this can be clearly seen in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, where we see an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit, which means the bottomless pit is a locked place of uh, uh, detention and a chain in his hand. And what, what that angel did is he accosted, secured, restrained Satan, one angel 
not an army, not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, not God the Father. One angel came down and threw Satan's butt off in the bottomless pit, or, or otherwise known as the abyss, and locked it over and sealed him up that he wouldn't, he couldn't even bust a grape from the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, and not even deceive the nations or anything anymore. So the bottomless pit is established uh, as a place of detention for demonic spirits. It's also talked, spoken of in second and Peter, and it is also spoken of in Jude, uh, glory to God, but even more so in Luke uh, chapter uh, number uh, uh, 18, uh, uh, number eight, it, uh, in verse 31, it at the, the even the demons themselves beg Jesus not to be, not to beg Jesus not to command them to be, uh, have to have to go to the bottomless pit or the abyss. So you have a gospel narrative where the uh, demons are attesting that the, the, that the bottomless pit is a place that they didn't want to go because it is a fiery place of torment. Of uh, uh, detention, uh, you also have Revelation eleven seven saying that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, and then you have Revelation seventeen eight actually saying the beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So what that tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is that the beast is not only a human being, a human dictator who will cause the world to take the mark of the beast. He is not only a ten nation confederacy, uh, glory to God, consisting of ten nations that give his power and great authority, but he is also a demonic principality that's locked up in the bottomless pit. And unless you understand that third aspect about the beast, you cannot understand what's properly restraining him. Now, pre-tribulationists and dispensationists say, oh, that person has to be the Holy Spirit. And they didn't consider any of these verses that I just read to you, they didn't consider any of those. They just went down a rabbit hole, said it's the Holy Spirit, built the entire doctrine around that, and then said the Holy Spirit has to be retaken from the earth along with the church before the Antichrist is revealed. There's nothing in the scripture that back that up. That has been a traditional uh, mainstay of pre-tribulationism since Darby brought it over here in the early 1800s, uh, 19th century and 1800s. And ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, uh, so I actually wrote a book. You can see the, the cover of it in the uh, uh, back of me, Revelation Revolution, the Antichrist, Angels in the Abyss. And, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the bottom line is, as I challenged Dr. John Walvoord, who was living at the time when I was living in Dallas uh, in 1995, and I challenged his one of his... Um, uh, associate uh, professors there at DTS, Stanford Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, uh, J. Dwight Pentecost. And so I challenged both of them and used the material against them. It's in my book. I actually include the letters that they wrote back to me. And I just break down how theologically that, that, that is just such an incorrect conclusion. Now, why is that important uh, Important with the long delay and the lesson we're going to be having tonight is, um, is important because of this. If there is, if they're wrong about the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit restrainer, and I and I definitely prove that they are, they're wrong about that. Then there is no basis to conclude that the saints of Revelation 13, who are martyred by the Antichrist, are not a part of the church. Okay, and the reason why I say that because the what, uh, what the average pre-tribulationist doesn't understand because they, they don't understand pre-trib from a technical level. You know, they know it from the pulpit and from Bible class and the, the passages saying we're not going to be here, but they don't know the technical aspects of it. Number one, one of the technical aspects of this doctrine is this, is that the Holy Spirit 
in the church is going to be taken before the Antichrist can be revealed. By that being the case, what that means is, is this, is that before the 70th week of Daniel or before that seven year period they call the tribulation, I would just rather call it Daniel 70th week, what the Bible calls it. Um, before that period happens, they say, the Holy Spirit will be taken from the earth. Well, where did they get that from? They get it from 2 Thessalonians chapter number two, where Paul talks about a restrainer. So let's just go down this line. If the restrainer is the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit is resident in the church and he's taken before the Antichrist is revealed, okay? That means that even though the saints of Revelation 13 are saved, because you, they, you can't say they're not saved. They're called saints. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're part of the first resurrection. The Holy Spirit calls them blessed and holy. Glory to God. And uh, they refuse to get the mark of the beast. Like I say, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All of that, they are seen in heaven in Revelation 15. And uh, uh, they're actually seen in their award ceremony in Revelation 20, which is another thing. Revelation 20 is not when those people are, are resurrected. Uh, glory to God. They're resurrected they're shown in Revelation chapter 15 after uh, Revelation 14, where the son of man comes down on the cloud and gets his harvest. The next thing you know, the people that refuse to get to Mark of the Beast in Revelation 15 are seen in heaven. They're up there singing songs. They're not raised. They do not come up in Revelation 20. They come up in Revelation 15. They're already in heaven by the time you get to Revelation 20, where the ceremony starts for their, when they, they're in, they are in heaven. But the point is, is this. What pre-trib says is the reason why the Revelation 13 saints can't be a part of the church is because the Holy Spirit that baptizes believers into the body of Christ and seals people into the day of redemption and then fills people for service and all that, his role as the restrainer has stopped. And because his role as the restrainer has stopped, he's no longer baptizing people into the body of Christ. Therefore, the people in Revelation 13 cannot be a part of the church because the Holy Spirit's ministry as such as baptizing into the body of Christ ceased when the Holy Spirit was taken, glory to God, according to Paul in Revelation uh, chapter number uh, two, uh, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses six and seven, when the Holy Spirit was removed from the earth. All of this is, is not factual, ladies and gentlemen, if the restrainer is not the Holy Spirit. And so, excuse me, with my book, Revelation Revolution, the Antichrist, Angels in the Abyss, I, I prove to people that the, their, their theory on the restrainer is wrong. And when I challenged Dr. Walvoord and Dr. Pentecost on it, they had no answers for it, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of the biggest doctrinal hoaxes and missteps in interpreting scriptures that is going to affect millions of people because there's people still going to be here at, at a time when they think they're not supposed to be here. And they're going to be facing the things that the Bible told us was going to happen, but we always assign that to somebody else. Oh, that's the tribulation saints. No, that's the church, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why God gave the book of Revelation in the first place. Why do you think it's in the Bible? Why do, why do you think that God would put it in the scriptures if it wasn't for Christians? Who else is reading the Bible? The Christians are reading the Bible. It's put there for us. We were supposed to know and understand these things. And so this is why it is so important, ladies and gentlemen, that you understand these teachings and that we use 
all of the richness of the book of Revelation that is revealing to the church that we use it and apply it to end time Christians because that's who the book is written to. <laughs> Glory to God. And, and, and it has special significance to the end time church. Now, I'm not negating the fact that it had uh, an, an, an impact and a purpose for the first century church. And that's why God addressed the seven churches of Asia Minor. He actually addressed these people. He, he named people that were in their congregations and everything, specific things that they were going to be going through. And he named all of that stuff. And so, uh, uh, yes, there's some application to the first century Christians. But the first century Christians also thought that Jesus was coming back during the first century. And they got it wrong about that. How do we know they were wrong? 21 centuries later, the church is still here. has not been raptured. So now this whole idea of a long delay takes on a new life when you look at it. So what we do in this study, ladies and gentlemen, we are not taking the approach that dispensationalists take as that nothing after Revelation chapter three uh, applies to the church. We do not take that step. We are not teaching pre-trib. If, you, if you're looking for pre-trib teaching and you're stuck on that teaching, then you don't want to listen to this because I'm not teaching that. Glory to God. Now, I, I urge you to stay, stay tuned because you'll actually learn something. You see, it is men and theologians that, that compartmentalize the book of Revelation and say what doesn't apply to the church and what does and what doesn't. And the word church isn't found here and the word church isn't found there. You know, the people, it, it, it always amazes me that the people who say the word church isn't found in Revelation after um, uh, chapter three and, and, and doesn't, isn't seen again all the way until I believe chapter 21. But the bottom line is so, such a stupid argument because listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, the word, first, the word church is not found in 2 Timothy, Titus, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, or either Jude. Technically, 1 Peter either, because in the King James Version where it says the church that is at Babylon, the word church there is in italics. That means it wasn't in the original. And other, uh, and other um, versions do not translate it um, um, as, the, as church. You know, but so therefore, uh, uh, you, you know, it's it's technically not in First Peter either. So now we have several books of the New Testament where the word church is not found, and so you don't you don't ever hear a pre-tribulationist telling you that they they'll never admit that that the word church isn't found in seven other epistles. They they kind of like leave that part out when they're making that argument. And then another thing, let's look at uh, in the book of Galatians, the word church in the first chapter is used uh, one time, and then in this plural form. It's also used one time in the first chapter, but then it's not found again. Uh, the word church isn't found again through the rest of the book through, through chapter number six in Galatians. Do we conclude that because the, the word church or churches is not found after the first chapter that it, does, that it doesn't apply to the church and the other chapters? Of course, we wouldn't make that dumb that, that, that's just that's just an idiocy, you know. And now, granted, pre-trib isn't based on that alone, but uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit restrainer, that is a mainstay. It's not the only part of the doctrine, but it's a mainstay of the doctrine. And without that, uh, pre-tribulationism doesn't work. Why? Because when you get down line, downwind, 
the downwind, downwind tenets of that doctrine, such as Revelation 13, now you have no basis to claim that the Revelation 13 saints are not a part of the church. Based on what? Well, you're saying the Holy Spirit is no longer there to baptize them into the body of Christ. That's why they're not a member of the church. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how they that's how they slice it. Glory to God. They have to admit that they are saved. They can't doubt that. They can't doubt that the Holy Spirit has to be involved and their redemption, they can't doubt that either. But what they do doubt is they're not a part of the church because the restrainer has gone back to heaven and in that aspect of his ministry is no longer baptizing people into the body of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that, those are all theological wranglings of men who don't know what the heck they're talking about. But it sounds good in their doctrine. It's just difficult to prove with the Bible and the scriptures they should have used, they don't use, such as the beast ascends from the bottomless pit, and the bottomless pit is a locked prison. So, and the uh, demonic principality that's actually going to possess the human, his human common part, the Antichrist, the one who will actually sit on the throne and call himself God. Uh, that that can't happen until the beast that's in the bottomless pit is let out. And so this is why uh, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, it says, when it, the two witnesses are killed, it says, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall, shall uh, 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 make war with them and kill them. And then in Revelation 17, verse uh, number 8, it says, the beast that you saw, which is in Revelation 13, the beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. It's twice said in the bottom in the scriptures the first mention is in revelation 11 7 establishing a firm uh, uh identification and, and interpretation uh, interpretive rule the law of first mention when something is mentioned the first time in the scriptures that's usually going to identify it for the rest of its uses in the bible uh, glory to god it's not a hard and fast rule all the time but but it is something that people understand as being somewhat of a valid point when you're interpreting scripture and interpreting terminology in the Bible, uh, glory to God. The first mention is usually going to set the context or set the tone for how you interpret that passage. In the very time, in the very first time the beast is found in Revelation, it's in connection with uh, Revelation 7, where the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. So it's well established. Uh, Pre-trib left all of that part out, and they have no Bible whatsoever to back them up on the restrainer being the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, we do not take the position that revelation after uh, after revelation chapter three that the that the bible does not uh talk about or the church is not in in view in the book of revelation that is not a view that we take because the because of the pre-trib fallacy that the restrainer has to be removed and restrainer is the holy spirit and the holy spirit is what baptizes people in the body of christ therefore the revelation 13 saints are not a part of this church so that's how they came up with that. And we're going to find out it's all poppycock. Okay. <laughs> Get my book, Revelation, uh, Revelation, Revolution, the Antichrist, Angels in the Abyss. You'll enjoy it. And you'll see how I, uh, how I deal with that subject intensely. Uh, glory to God in that book, uh, challenging both uh, two of the top pre-trib scholars of all time, Dr. John Walvoord and J. Dwight Pentecost. Both men have gone on uh, to be with the Lord. So we're not speaking disrespectfully of them as individuals, uh, but we are saying that they were wrong about that. Their doctrine. And when I challenged them, you'd be surprised with the, how they responded to me. All you got to do is get my book because I include their letters 
in my book. So uh, you actually can see it for yourself. So tonight we're going to be uh, talking about the long delay. And the long delay, uh, Peter uh, initially talks about that. So let's go ahead and get my screen uh, shared up here. Uh, glory to God. And uh, we'll get right into our lesson. Uh, glory to God. Okay, just want to expand this a little bit so we can see me. Okay, the long delay. Glory to God. Okay. Let's look at Peter's perspective of the long delay, first of all. In 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 8 and 9. We're going to be using the English Standard Version. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Now, hey, listen, this is really good. Who is he addressing here? He's addressing the beloved, or as some people say, the beloved. That's talking about Christians. That's talking about his, the fellow saints. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. It's very important that you understand that. Glory to God. Listen to what he says next in the next verse. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, Peter is making a point here that is very, very important. As a matter of fact, let's look at this verse in the King James. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is interesting. What you have to understand is this. The Christians of the first century all thought, or many of them thought, that the Lord was going to come back in their lifetime. They would look for the Lord to show up any minute. But what has 21 centuries of history taught us? That as well-intentioned as they were, they were absolutely unequivocally wrong. The Lord did not come back in the first century second century, third century, all the way up to the 20th century. We don't know if he's coming back in the 21st century, so we can say clearly up through the 20th century. So then the issue became about mockers. And you know, in my last series, I talked about the mockers because they're going to come, glory to God. But the bottom line is, so Peter is addressing him, saying, wait a minute, you guys. You have to understand something. The Lord is coming. 
And he's not like human beings who fail to keep their promise. It has nothing to do with that at all. What it is, is that God's time and our time is two different levels. As a matter of fact, God's time is so much above our time that one of his days is a thousand of one of our years. Think of that ratio, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give you an idea of what that's like. The average house fly lives about 30 days. It goes from egg, larva, pupilla to adult in 30 days. Lives its entire life in 30 days. Glory to God. God is saying one of his days is a thousand of our years. Think of that. One of his days. So, ladies and gentlemen, just two days ago, in God's time, Jesus was here. So when the Lord says he's coming quickly, he is coming quickly in his time, not ours. But we have to understand the whole idea behind God taking his time in human terms of coming back. He never intended on coming back quickly. That never was his plan. We didn't know that right away. Paul and the people in Paul's day didn't know that. They didn't live to see it. They didn't know that it would be more than 20 centuries before the Lord came back. They didn't know that. They had no way of knowing. Where to come? So the question is, I want you to see this. Why does the Lord delay his coming? Why does he do it? What's going on with that? It's interesting that where is the promise of his coming is the question the unbeliever asks. When is the Lord coming? is a question believers ask. Some who do not deny are nonetheless perplexed by the delay. <laughs> Everybody's perplexed by the delay. Glory to God. To the question, why does the Lord delay his second coming? Peter gives a fourfold answer. Let's take a look. Number one. The delay does not mean the denial of God's word. For the day of the Lord will come. Glory to God. It's going to come. Number two, delay does not mean that the reversal of God's word. For the Lord is not slack, tardy, or late concerning its promises. He ain't, he's not late. He's not tardy. You know, there's a song say he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Glory to God. God's not on our time. Glory to God. Number three, delay is an evidence that God exists eternally. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So his realm is eternity, not our constricted realm to time to the time and space continuum. God is above that. 
time is something that mortal beings need to measure the passing of time. If you're immortal, if you're et eternal, you don't, the time is not relevant in the same sense as it is to a person that has a limited amount of time. We're all on a clock. And let me tell you something, you're old enough to, if you're alive, you're old enough to die. Because that's the only thing, that's the only requirement of death is life. If you're one second old, you're old enough to die. Glory to God. And so we're all on the clock, whether it's one second or, or a, a hundred years, we're all on a clock if you're mortal. So, but God does not exist in that realm. Glory to God. So what we see as a delay is actually evidence that God is eternal. Is, and his eternality, if you were to try to put it on a ratio, a measuring unit, then you would say one of his days is a thousand of our years. Figure that one out. Okay? Comprehend that. <laughs> Delay means that God is extending mercy. So we're getting at why has God not come back yet? Why has he not? And we're not just talking about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the rapture. We're talking about why has the Lord not come back? Like I said, the first century Christians, they were big on this, that the Lord was coming anytime now that they, uh, the Thessalonians were really, really tuned into that. They thought the persecution that they was going through was the day of the Lord had happened already. Paul had to write second Thessalonians to correct that error. Glory to God. That's how much they were into it. They thought they were in the day of the Lord already. Paul said that day that about our gathering together to him and the coming of the Lord in the day of the Lord, he said, neither one of those are going to, he said, don't be soon shaken in mind that that, that that time has come. He said, that day cannot come until some things happen first. And I know that's a pre-trib teaches the imminent return of Christ as in any time the Lord could have came at any time. No, he could not have come at any time. He could not have come before Israel became a nation in 1948. He could not have come before then because the, the, the mystery of Israel's blindness and the, and the fullness of the Gentiles are synchronized events that when God is finished with the church, he's ready to go back to Israel. If there's no way he could have came back and raptured the church in 1542 before Israel. Uh -uh. He wasn't going to do that. How do we know that? Because the church is still here and we're past 1948. That means this is what God intended in the beginning, whether we understood it that way or not. It doesn't make a difference what we understand. And it doesn't make a difference how our theologians tell us and break it down. The fact is we're still here. Period. Glory to God. Number four, delay means that God is existing, extending his mercy. He's extending his mercy. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What this means is God is extending mercy during an age we call the church. We're in the age of grace. We're in the age of the Holy Spirit. We're in the age of the church. This is why he hasn't come back because he's extending mercy for folks to repent and come to him. Glory to God. Now, these four points came from the Beacon Bible Commentary on 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 9. 
So these four points that you just that we just covered came from the Beacon Bible Commentary. Okay, now continuing. Why does the Lord delay his coming? Glory to God. Delay means that God is extending mercy. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Glory to God. God has been extending his mercy for 2,000 years now. 2,000 years he's been extending his mercy. This is during the age of the church who simultaneously occupies that space from Pentecost to right before the day of the Lord, right before the day, great and notable day of the Lord comes. Glory to God. We're, we're quoting Joel and Acts there. We're going to get to that. Glory to God. This is the age of the church, again, from Pentecost to before the day of the Lord comes. Glory to God. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Actually, the Bible gives us a clue of how long the church age will be. Not so far as in celestial calendar years, but we're given the parameters of it. And I'm going to show you. It's right here in the book of Acts. It looks at Acts chapter number two, verse 17 through 21. Again, we're reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Glory to God. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Number 19, verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. So Pentecost is when the church started and it's gonna go all the way up to before the great and notable day of the Lord comes because the day of the Lord is when the Lord pours out his wrath and we're not appointed to wrath. So God is going to extend his mercy from Pentecost all the way up to that point right before it gets here. As a matter of fact, it even says these will be the signs before the day of the Lord comes, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. These are, these are called the cosmological signs or the cosmic signs, the things we're going to see in the heavens. Jesus said at that time, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. There's going to be all sorts of signs. It says, the Bible says, men's hearts are going to fail them for looking at the things that are coming on earth. We're going to see all kinds of things. All kinds of things are going to be going on. But these are signs. And these are signs that he gave to the church. Why do you think in the inaugural sermon, Peter's inaugural sermon on the inaugural day of the day of Pentecost, the inaugural day of the church, why do you think the passage he gave gives when the church started and what it will look like right before it ends with the cosmic signs? Why do you think that's there? We can't overlook that. You're looking at the, you're looking at bookend on the left, the day of Pentecost, and the cosmic signs on the right, bookend on the right. Everything in between is the age of the church. Now, I know that bothers pre-trib 
uh, theology because they teach the intimate return of Christ and Christ could have came back at any time. But no, he couldn't have, he couldn't have came in 1542. He couldn't have came in 1320. He couldn't have came in 917. He couldn't have came in 532. He could not have come. We know that now. How do we know that? Because he didn't come. 2,000 years now. And so then, so we're getting back to what Peter was trying to tell us. Listen, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And he was trying to get saints out of the mindset, talking about where's the promise of his coming? Because the mockers were mocking where the promise of his coming is, but the believers were also saying, when is he coming? <laughs> so, so both sides were asking similar questions. One using it for the purpose of mocking, the other is looking as, 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 as anticipation. But the first century Christians had no idea and could not have con conceived that the Lord would take more than 2,000 years to come back. But it wasn't for them. It wasn't for them, ladies and gentlemen. That's why they, didn't, that's, they couldn't get it. And verse number 21, it shall come to pass that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Glory to God, doing the change of the church. So now let's look at this. Listen to what Matthew said. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will tell you, Peter, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus announced, did not describe, just announced that he was building a, 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 a spiritual organism called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Glory to God. He was building that. But this is what happened. So let's look at the order of this. Jesus announced it and talked about it in Matthew 16, 18. But then, but then he comes back again after his resurrection and Acts 1 and 8. Look what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So now Jesus has already rose. He's already right at that 40th day of being with the disciples after he rose from the dead a uh, glory to God and so he he was with them all this time and so now he's about to go up into heaven he said but something's gonna happen he says go to Jerusalem wait for the uh till you are endued with power on a high he says but you will receive power he said you're gonna be the power to be my witnesses and what's gonna happen when that power comes well we see what happens on the day of Pentecost this is what happened Acts number verse number two uh Acts chapter two verses uh, 14 through 16. It says, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these are people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. Glory to God. Now Peter is reporting back and quoting an Old Testament prophet about the beginning of the church, which Joel had no understanding of what the church was when he was given this prophecy. We're going to get to that. That's important. I want you, we're going to come back to that point because it's very important. Peter is basing the inaugural day of the church on an Old Testament prophecy, ladies and gentlemen. That means Joel prophesied about the church, whether he knew it or not, is not important. Peter now is giving revelation saying, no, what you're seeing now is the fulfillment of what Joel said. 
And trust me, Joel didn't know anything about the church, but the church is in the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, because that's why Peter is quoting Joel. Glory to God. Joel didn't know the church. No one knew because it was kept secret. But it's all through the Old Testament. We're going to be seeing that. We're going to be learning about that. Okay, verse, Acts number, verse number 20, he says, this, and, and, notice, and notice how after he goes through this whole thing, and you have to read it yourself, but then again in Acts 2.20, he says, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the notable day of the Lord comes. So now we have the, 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 the inaugural day of the day of Pentecost, which Peter addressed. He says, listen, after the, after the Holy Spirit fell on the people in the upper room on 120, they uh, clothed, clothed in tongues of fire rested on each one of them. They began to speak in other tongues that the spirit of God gave utterance. And then with, when they heard all of this, the people outside said, man, them guys must be high on some new wine, but they weren't high on new wine. Peter said, look, these guys are not drunk as you suppose. He said, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. This was prophesied by Joel. And what you're seeing now is the, is the inauguration or the beginning of a new entity that Jesus first talked about in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I was going to build my church. This is the fulfillment of it. And so this is what Peter is doing. He's going through it. He's telling him, he's breaking it down. He said, no, 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 no. This is real important. As a matter of fact, this isn't some weird happening. This is actually prophesied by Joel. Joel actually prophesied this hundreds of years before Pentecost. Hundreds of years. Okay. All right. The church started on the day of Pentecost, but it will end before the day of the Lord, God's wrath comes. So we want to be clear about that. Okay, now, so this is what this looks like. We have Pentecost and all the way to before the day of the Lord comes. What happens in between? There is a long delay, 2,000 years in running. Okay, and we're gonna we just read about this in Second Peter, chapter number three, verses eight and nine, and we're gonna pick it up in Revelation chapter ten, verse number six. Now, the church is the only entity purpose for Christians. Number one, that fills the space of the long delay since the beginning of Pentecost. There's nobody else. He's not dealing, he's, he steals, he's, he's, he deals with Israel in a way. He scattered Israel, that's dealing with him. He brought Israel back in 1948, that's dealing with him. He established them back in Jerusalem, that's dealing with him. The Jews that do believe are not, are technically no longer Jews, even though we call them Messiah Jews, they're neither uh, Jew or Greek. In Christ, we're all one in Christ, we're all, we're all the church. Okay, even though it's called the Gentile church, there are still some Jews that are going to be there. But characteristically, this age is known as the age of the church, which is typically the Gentile church, typically. Okay, all right. So this is the only entity that God has purposed for Christians. It's the church right now, the body of Christ. There's nothing else. So what else has been here occupying the 2,000 years from Pentecost up until now? The church. Glory to God. 
God gave us a Bible with all our rules and stuff like that, that we need to go by to regulate our behavior in the church, church order, prophecy, you know, uh, righteous living, holiness, the revelations of Christ, the revelations of God, the revelations of the, uh, of, uh, of, of the, uh, of the uh, Godhead and all of this stuff, all the doctrines and everything, all the teachings in between. Glory to God. Occupy what is now found in our Bible, but this is but this but the the entity of the church is what occupies the space between Pentecost and right before the day of the Lord comes. That's the age of the church. That's that's what the church is. And so that's why the church is still here. God is still saving souls. He's 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 gonna come when he's filled up that number, according to Romans eleven uh, Romans eleven uh, twenty five, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Then that's when the blinders of Israel uh, that has been blinded in part. Then that's when that come off. God goes go back and fully reveals himself even in a, in a more profound way as Jesus Christ being the Messiah they were looking for. Right now, they're still looking for a Messiah. And that's why they'll end up uh, uh, in league somewhat with the Antichrist because they're going to be looking at him. Okay. Uh, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of theories concerning around that, but I don't want to get caught in that right now. We have 2,000 here. 2,000 years of history that bears witness to this. The church is the only entity purpose for Christians right now. And it's during the church age. Glory to God. This is what God is purpose. You're part of the body of Christ. If you're born again, you must be born again. And if you're born again, you're baptized into the body of Christ. There's only one church. There's one, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Glory to God. We're all by one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? That's how it happens. It's only one. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. The church has been here since the day of Pentecost. It started on the day of Pentecost, prophesied by an Old Testament prophet, and then to go on all the way until right before the day, great and notable day of the Lord comes. We don't want to be here during the day of the Lord because that's the time of God's wrath. We were not appointed to wrath, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. So let's continue. Why does the delay, why does the Lord delay his second coming? We can still can, uh, continuing with on that vein. Glory to God. God has promised to the end of history of ungodly men with judgment. If there seems to be a delay, it is not because God is unfaithful to his promise. It is because he's patient. He doesn't want any to perish. His desire is that all should come to repentance. He purposely extends the time of grace so that men might have the opportunity to be saved. That's from the believer's commentary. Oh, glory to God. So I, I just want you to get this because it's so important that he extended the opportunity. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter two, verses nine, four through nine. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the, get this, get this ladies and gentlemen, so that in the ages, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of the result of works, so that no one can boast. Let me read number verse number seven again, because verse number seven is so important. So that in the coming ages, I want you to listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. In the coming ages, this speaks, glory to God, of God's eternal plan for us Christians who have been redeemed out of the world, who were foreknown before the foundation of the world, who were called, sanctified, and kept by the power of God. Glory to God that God loved us before the foundation of the world. Glory to God. And he did this. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he did this so that in the coming ages, when did these coming ages happen? In all eternity. He's going to be showing the immeasurable riches of his grace. His grace is going to be continuously shown in new levels of love, new levels of grace, new newness in God. Do you know that God can keep revealing newness in himself for all eternity and never run out? He is inexhaustible. And so what Paul is talking about here is the, is the, is the, is the immeasurable grace and kindness he's gonna show towards the redeemed and the eternal ages, ages to come. Stuff that we human beings have no idea what that means. It is so far beyond us. The eye has not seen, nor have the ear heard, nor have it entered into the minds of them that God, the, of the things that God has planned for those he that he loved him, that he loved. Oh, glory, glory to God. In the ages to come, ladies and gentlemen, God is going to be showing his grace in all eternity. Glory to God. Had Christ came in the first century, none of us today would be able to experience God's eternal glory for the redeemed, planned for us in the eternal ages to come. God delayed because of us and those to come. This is why the Lord has not come back in the first century or the second century or the third century. Had he that did that, we'd have never been able to participate with him in the eternal ages. So he waited on us. He waited on us, ladies and gentlemen. God had no intention of coming back in the first century because he saw you. He saw your kids. He saw all the people that lived in the first century, the second century, the third, fourth, fifth, all the way up to the 20th century, into the 21st century, still hasn't come back. But he delayed his coming because one of his days is a thousand years. And while he is delaying, he's giving men time to repent. He never intended on coming back quickly because he wanted to redeem men and women, he had a plan to wait for you.
and me and those who haven't been born yet that he's going to save. Glory, glory to God. I'm so glad they were wrong in the first century because in order to participate in the ages to come, you have to be born in this world. You have to come here, glory to God, and be redeemed and be saved and to be baptized into Christ in order to participate in the glory God is gonna be revealing in the ages to come, which begins when Christ comes back for his church for us. Oh, glory, glory to God. The delay. The delay is rather to be explained by God's mercy and not bringing it to an end sooner. Forbearing. And some, some uh, uh, translation says God is forbearing. The King James says God is long-suffering, but this forbearing long-suffering means that God bears long with men's weakness and sin, not wishing that any should perish, means that he desires all men to come to salvation and gives them ample time to do so, but not just in their lifetime, in the, in the times of human existence here on this planet, now that we're in the age of the church. His desire is that we should all reach repentance before the day of judgment comes. While he desires that all shall be saved, he can bless with salvation only those that come to repentance and acceptance of his plan. That's from the Broadman Bible Commentary. Glory to God. So the question is, is when does this delay, when does this delay end? Now we're about to get into our lesson. Well, we're already into it, but we're gonna get even a little deeper. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 10, verses five through seven. We're gonna start with the King James Version first. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for a ride because now we have to break this down. 
Let's read the same passage from the English Standard Version. And the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him that lives forever and ever who created the heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the King James translated, translates this as there should be time no longer. Mm. But that's not the most accurate translation. The most accurate translation is, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Something has been on delay. Peter talked about. Peter talks about that. He says, wait a minute, y'all. Don't get it mixed up. Don't get it confused. God is coming back. But you have to understand, one of his days is a thousand of our years. Don't get it confused. He is coming back quick. Quick is on his clock, though. On our side, it's been a long time coming. On his side, he's right at the door. It's coming quickly. But don't get it confused because it's making the mockers mock and saying, where is this coming? But the Christians are saying, when is this coming? But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He's delayed his time. Why? Because he's got a certain number in mind. He's got a certain size numerically for his church. This is why when he talks about it in Romans, he says, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that's when Israel's blindness come off. And Israel's been blinded so that the church, the Gentiles could benefit. Paul says, don't, don't you Gentiles get conceited now. Read Romans 11. It's really good. All, well, all the Romans is good. <laughs> but. Listen to what it says. That there should be no longer delay. No more delay. But in the days, verse number seven, but in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. Now remember this, the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet. When this angel sounds, it isn't just about judgment and all things falling out of the sky, even though some of that happens. But this is a seriously programmatic trumpet that cannot be overlooked. Listen to this. But in the days of the trumpet call sounded by the angel, not only is the delay going to be over, but the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So now we get an agenda, ladies and gentlemen, on this seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet 
is when the delay ends. The mystery of God is finished. And this mystery, God gives us a clue. It was declared to his prophets. So that means it's in the Old Testament. The writings of the prophets declare the mystery of God that ends at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. We can't overlook all of this. We have to analyze it. We have to include it. We have to harmonize it with the other scriptures or else we lose what God is saying here. And this is one of the problems with pre-trib because pre-trib has compartmentalized the book of Revelation and told you all, none of this deals with the church and the church is gone at Revelation chapter, uh, at, at the end of Revelation chapter uh, three. And, and, and then the next thing you know, God tells John in Revelation 4.1, come up hither. And some even go as far as to say, see, that's the rapture, which is complete poppycock. The book of Revelation is a book written to an end time church. Glory to God. It starts out addressing the first century churches. Yes, but it's gonna, it didn't mean, it didn't mean to them what it means to us in these last days. Glory to God, because those people have been off the scene for 2000 years now. So it wasn't about them. It wasn't about Martin Luther. It wasn't about John Calvin. It wasn't about Thomas Aquinas. It wasn't about none of those guys. It's about the church that's coming in these last days this is going to mean something to those who experience it. So now we have to understand and grab the gravity of these words that God gave us in the book that he calls the apocalypse, the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Revelation 10.6 in the NIV. And it said, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them and the earth and all that is in them and the sea and all that is in them and said, there will be no more delay. There'll be no more delay, ladies and gentlemen. In the days of the voice of the seventh trumpet, the delay will be over won't be no more delay. Right now, there's been a delay. The delay has lasted 2,000 years. Let's read it from the NASB. I want to give you several versions, so because I don't want you to think I'm, I'm putting words in the Bible's mouth. I don't want you to think I'm doing that. Look at the NASB, uh, Revelation 10, 6. And he swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created the heaven, all things in it, and the earth and all things in it, and the sea and all things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. God says no more delay. It's going to happen. When the seventh trumpet blows, the delay will be finished. Let's look at this. Let's get the whole context. Let's go back to uh, Revelation uh, 10. Let's go uh, to, back to the fifth verse. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever 
who created the heavens and all that is in it and them in them and the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it. That's Jesus Christ, by the way. Revelation talk about all, uh, Revelations talks about he was the one who created all things and, and, for, and, and all things were created by him and for him. Glory to God. There will be no more delay, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So we have to understand when the seventh trumpet blows, the delay will be off. The mystery of God will be completed. We're going to deal. What is the mystery of God? That's going to be completed. Glory to God. And But this is a mystery that he announced to his prophets. So it means it's something that's in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that the prophets declared. Why did the prophets declare it? Because God declared it to them, and they, and by an extension, declared it to us. And because they declared it to us, that means it's written in their prophecies. God declared it to them. They declared it to us. It was given to the prophets. Glory to God. I want to reemphasize this. The long delay will end when the seventh trumpet begins to sound. Connected to the long delay being over, the mystery of God shall also be completed. So that's another aspect. The mystery that was declared to the prophets was the same mystery declared by the prophets in their writing. God told the prophets, the prophets talked about it. Doesn't necessarily mean they understood it, but they talked wrote about it, prophesied about it. So the question is, what is the mystery of God? First, let's do a little word study. In the Bible, a mystery is a sacred secret, a truth hidden to those outside, but revealed to God's people by his word. The mystery of God has to do with the age-old problem of evil in the world. Now, this is, now, first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a bunch of commentaries on what they say the mystery of God is. I forgot to preface this. So we're going to read about four or five commentaries on what, what, what the commentator said is. So the commentator is saying the mystery of God has to do with the age-old problem of evil in the world. That's what this commentator says. Why is there both moral and, and natural evil in the world today. Why doesn't God do something about it? Now that's what the writer of the Bible exposition commentary says. Okay, let's look at another commentary. Now we're gonna look at the Bible knowledge commentary. That's uh, Dr. Zuck Walvoord and this, uh, the staff and uh, 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 the faculty at DTS who, who came, who put together the Bible, uh, Bible knowledge commentary. This is what they say. The announcement was made that the seventh trumpet would bring about the accomplishment of the mystery of God. The mystery of God had been previously announced to God's prophets. The reference, therefore, is not to hidden truth, 
but to the fulfillment of many Old Testament passages, which refer to the glorious return of the Son of God and the establishment of his kingdom of righteousness and peace on earth. So that's what they say the mystery of God is, okay? Uh, this is, let's go to the New International Commentary. The mystery of God in Revelation 17 shares this apocalyptic coloring and refers to the purpose of God as revealed in the consummation of human history. Oh, this sounds real good. In the New Testament, his divine purpose in history as a mystery, not because it is unknown, but because it never would have been known if God had not revealed it. John is saying that the sounding of the seventh trumpet that which God purposed in creation and is made possible through the blood of the lamb will be brought to his fulfillment. Now he, he's got another little slant on it. Now notice, ain't none of these guys agreeing, but we, gonna, we just gonna go through a few more of these. Okay, this is the pulpit commentary. The mystery of God should be finished. Also, the mystery of God was fulfilled. The prophetic past, according to a theologian by the name of Wadsworth, the mystery of God is all that man does not now understand in connection with God's dealing with man, but to the existence of which he is cognizant, for example, the, the existence of evil in the world and God's modes of dealing with that in all mankind, which we only know in part. God's plans are being steadily and surely worked out, though we are not able to comprehend them. He has declared to his servants the prophet. Literally, he as he evangelized to his servants the prophets. Now that's what the full commentary says. Now I told you, everybody got a different opinion on what this mystery is. Okay, all right. Let's read another one. The Tyndale commentary. So I want to give you some witnesses because we're gonna break this thing down. We're gonna, we just gonna, we're, we're not gonna get philosophical. We're not gonna get too wordy like the like the, a lot of these theologians. A lot of these guys. Let me just tell you something. A lot of these guys are Pharisees. Glory to God. They're 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 they're, they're experts in the word and the letter of writing and language and archaeology and digging up ancient literature and text. None of these, some of these guys don't even have the Holy Spirit. A lot of these guys aren't even saved, unfortunately. Okay, but they're scholars. And the scholars get to write all this stuff, these lengthy dissertations on stuff. And Jesus said, like, you, you Pharisees, he says, you, you know, by the time y'all get finished with something, uh, you, you make the word of God none effect. See, that's why the Pharisees and Jesus and them didn't get along. Jesus was the living word. He says, man, you look, you were strain at a strain at a gnat in somebody else's eye and miss the beam in your own. When you get finished, you won't know like Bill Clinton's famous statement. It all depends on what the definition of is is. <laughs> You'll go around the corner 50 times trying to figure out what is is. That's what these scholars do. Some of these guys ain't even gonna make it into heaven. Glory to God. I, I'm not trying to call nobody out. I'm just saying. Some of these people don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of these guys are liberal. You don't even believe in that don't even believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, yet they're writing commentaries. Okay, let's look at the Tyndale commentary. Now, I th now this guy, this I'm about to read, that's Leon Morris actually wrote, uh, the, the contributor to this particular one, and I actually like Leon Morris, because uh, Leon Morris was a, a, a good friend of uh, uh, another per person that um, 
uh, that I actually had a chance of taking one of his courses, uh, Dr. D.A. Carson. As a matter of fact, uh, Morris and Carson have collaborated on many things. But anyway, the good news was proclaim to his servants the prophets. We should properly understand the prophets here to mean New Testament prophets as well as the great prophets of the Old Testament. God has one purpose through the ages and it comes to his climax at this point. From the very beginning, he has planned to bring his people to salvation and thus the whole purpose is coming to its culmination. It involves the judgment of evil, but it also but also the deliverance and vindication of his people. John's readers are to reflect that the mighty world forces of which they are so conscious, far from being triumphant, are about to be overthrown decisively. A purpose that God has planned before the world and has matured throughout all the ages will not lightly be abandoned. The mystery of God will indeed be accomplished. So this is what all these different guys are saying. Okay, now you got a different slant from every, everybody. Now, what does all that mean? All these different people saying different things. If I'd have had 50 commentaries, there'd have been 50 different things said. Okay, all right. Well, you know what this means? There's no consensus of what the mystery of God is. There's no consensus. And it's, if there's no consensus, that means don't nobody know for sure. <laughs> That's what it means. These guys aren't sure. One say this thing, the other say that thing. You know, my approach to this whole teaching is going to be very simple. Am I saying I know more than these scholars? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is I'm going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. How about that? How about we not get philosophical? How about we just let the Bible interpret the Bible? Why don't we just do that? When the seven trumpet sounds, this is what we do know for sure. Let's start there. Number one, the long delay will be over. What long delay are they talking about? Well, there's only one long delay that's been in that's been ongoing since the day of Pentecost. And that's Christ's return for the church. But he hasn't come back yet. And the reason why he hasn't come back yet, we're finding out. He's not on human time, he's on God's time. In God's time, a day is a thousand years. So in God's time, it's only been two days. But whenever the trumpet sounds, we know that the long, not the trumpet, the seventh trumpet, when it sounds, the long delay will be over. We also know that the mystery of God will be completed. So now we got to figure out what is this mystery? When is the delay over? We understand the delay will be over when the seventh trumpet blows, but the mystery of God will be completed. Now we just read five different commentaries, five or six different commentaries. All of them had different opinions all over the place. So that means none of them are sure. So that's because they're trying to be philosophical about it. But how about doing what Jesus did? Turn to the scriptures. Why don't the scriptures, why don't you just let the scriptures inform you? You want to get all philosophical and try all this highfalutin language and write two or three paragraphs. You don't know what you're talking about. Glory to God. The mystery of this mystery of God, whatever it was, it was declared to the prophets. So that means God told the prophets about this now. If the mystery of God was declared to the prophets, that means it was certainly declared 
by the prophets and would be found in the Old Testament writings. We're just building the case now. Now, again, let's do, the, let's do a little word study here. The word mystery means the disclosure of divine secrets. Hence the concept of the mysterion is important in, in it. God, God's being and the rule are unsearchable. Apocalyptic speaks objectively of prepared and hidden realities that are shown to the seer as he, as he is led through the heavenly spheres by an angel. Talking about John and Revelation now. As the hidden basis of reality, the mystery are those of heaven, creation, the aeon, storm, etc., as well as the righteous and the sinners. So the mystery is the disclosure of divine secrets. That definition came from the theological dictionary in the New Testament. But let's also look at BDAG. BDAG, that's the top Greek source that the scholars use. The unmanifested or private counsel of God. That's what a mystery is. The secret. The secret thoughts, secret plans, and dispensations of God, which are hidden from human reason as well as from all other comprehension below the divine level and await either fulfillment or revelation to those for whom they are intended. So whatever the mystery of God was, it was a secret that he gave to the prophets. But that doesn't necessarily mean the prophets understood it as such. You know, God can tell you something, you don't even know what he understand it. Glory to God. So now, as we continue to go forward, we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, I say this again, for those who have just picked up and they're, you know, wondering where I'm coming from, I am not using the dispensational rules of interpretation, of, of eschatological interpretation. I do not teach that the church is gone after Revelation 13. I'm going over this review for a purpose. Number one. Number two, I teach that much of what follows in Revelation chapters 4 through 15 is a part of the church age. I'm not like pre-trib that teaches that is not a part of church age. I'm teaching that, yes, it is. That God gave the church revelation for a reason, not for Walvoorton to say, don't y'all read that. No, 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 no. That's why there's so much ignorance about revelation and eschatology now. Too many people have been taught it doesn't apply to the church. I don't, I'm not, I'm not assuming that role. I'm saying, yes, it does. I'm coming out and saying it. So you, so you understand where I'm coming from. That's why I'm applying all of this to the church because it's written to the church. I believe that the book of Revelation was written to the church and has specific information about the end time church, specifically. It's a time that's never happened before. So since it's a time that never happened before, what did God do? He did the next best thing. 
sent John to a couple thousand years into the future to write it down, put it in the Bible in the first century because God knew once the canon of the scriptures were closed that this information would never make it into what we understand is the Bible. So it had to go in in the first century, even though it talks, a lot of it talks about future stuff. Because by the time we get to the generation it applies to, those people will get it. Just like the people who got it in the first century of the churches that John addressed. When he's talking about the church at Ephesus, and he said, look, y'all have, y'all have lost y'all first love. Then people knew what the Lord was talking about. Well, just as they knew in the first century, that aspect of Revelation, what he talked about, just as the last generation of church saints that approached these times of doing Antichrist, where people believe, what Second Thessalonians said, the people will believe a lie. We're seeing that right now, ladies and gentlemen, in 2021. It is not, it is May, May 4th, 2021. Are we not witnessing a country believing a lie right now? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Number, number four, I believe that the saints of Revelation 13 are the last generation of church saints who will be on earth during the reign of the Antichrist. That's why they're called the saints. Glory to God. And church is not the only word Paul used to talk about believers. He used the word hagio, saints, just as John does. He uses that in the New Testament almost as much as he does the word church. Number five, I believe that the seventh trumpet has specific information concerning the church. And we're going to see that. Glory to God. I believe that harmonizing the scriptures, particularly in the New, Te New Testament truths concerning the church should also be harmonized with the book of Revelation. Dispensationalists refuse to do that. I'm saying we need to harmonize that book. We can't treat Revelation as a separate book. Granted, it's the only book of prophecy. But, 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 but that doesn't mean don't harmonize it with the rest of the uh, uh, truths that were given in the epistles because some of the writers are the same. John didn't just write Revelation. He wrote the three epistles and the book of us uh, and one of the gospel narratives. So, so it's some of the same people. So, you know, this is why we had to harmonize this stuff. We can't, we can't treat, uh, 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 put Revelation on its own little island and not attempt to, to harmonize things like the trumpets. Okay, we're going to get into that. I believe that Peter's admonition in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 should be harmonized with the long delay of Revelation chapter 10. The long delay that Peter talked about but people were mocking, where's the promises of coming? Peter said, wait a minute, y'all got to understand. One of God's days is a thousand years, y'all. Yes, the Lord delays his coming, but why is it delay his coming? That's why Peter said, it. the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He's doing it for a reason. Let's look at the passage again. Second Peter, chapter number uh, three, verse eight and nine. Listen to this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the delay and God's taking his time and coming back has to do with the age of the church and God building his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. How he's building the church is by adding members to it. He is building it. He's been building it. Glory to God. But he's building it with souls, with people. Glory to God. So this is the whole purpose of the delay, to give people time to repent. Glory to God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. We're going to read from the pulpit commentary. I like how they put a lot of this. Listen to this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. The Lord here as frequently as in the epistles, God is the father, God is God the father. He is the only, he is only who knoweth the day that and that hour. Some take the genitive with the Lord and translate it. The Lord of the promise is not slack. This is a possible connection but not so satisfactorily as the ordinary rendering. The latter clause may be understood as some think it. The delay of judgment to be slackness. In other words, some people think the delay in judgment or the delay of the Lord's coming because the Lord's coming doesn't just deal with judgment. The Lord's coming also deals with the deliverance of the believers. That's why John, when Paul, Peter, when he's writing this, he says, dear beloved, because there he's talking about Christians. And he's talking about the people that are going to get saved, who are going to repent during the time God is not being slack. No, God is delaying for a reason. Glory to God. The delay of judgment to be slackness, or better perhaps, as some understand the meaning of slackness. Men are slow in fulfilling their promises for various, often self-motives. Motives. The Lord's delay comes from love and long-suffering. That's from the pulpit commentary on 2 Peter. It's beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. So therefore, I believe that the mystery of God spoken of in Revelation 10 should be harmonized with New Testament mis mysteries concerning the church. Should be harmonized, not compartmentalized and kept one from another. We should unify it to understand. Revelation is the punctuation at the end that has impact on the entire sentence. It's necessary. That's why God put it in there. That's why God gave it to us. Oh, but we don't read it because people say, oh, that don't apply to the church. That's them other folks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's ridiculous. Of course it's to the church. Why do you think God put it in the Bible? Of course it is. The reason pre-trib does not make this connection is because they teach that after Revelation chapter 3, there is no connection to the church in the book of Revelation till you get further along to Revelation uh, 21, 22 and all of that. 
19 where he, where he comes back uh, with the saints. We do not accept that assertion as valid. We assert that the book of Revelation has specific instructions for the end time church. I cannot say emphasize that enough. I am not trying to walk down a pre-trib road and ignore the information that God has put in the Bible for the church in the book of Revelation. I don't care what theologian has come along and say this don't apply to the church. Those people will stand before God and give an account. I'm not worried about them. We need to understand what did God say? That's what he's going to that's what he's going to hold people account to. Pre-trib also teaches that the restrainer, the Holy Spirit in the church has to be removed prior to the revealing of the Antichrist before Daniel 70 week commences. We do not accept these tenets as valid. I'm not accepting that. They had no basis to say the Holy Spirit was going to be taken away. They have none whatsoever. That's some of Darby's stuff. We assert that the saints of Revelation 13 are not a separate group of Christians, but are in fact the last generation of church saints. We're not putting them and making them some other group. Tribulation saints had nothing to do with the church. That's, that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. We assert that the rapture will occur sometime between the martyrdom of the saints of Revelation 13 and the pouring out of God's wrath seen in Revelation 16. It's imminent between those two points because we don't know when it happens. We just know the parameters. Jesus didn't say, Jesus says you would know, not, wouldn't know the day or the hour. He didn't say you wouldn't know the season or the times. He didn't say that. He's the one that gave the signs. The question is, what did the old prophets declare in mystery form that involved a long delay that is fulfilled at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So let's get back to that now, because this is how we're going to break this down. This is how we go. This is how we're going to understand it. The question is, what did the Old Testament prophets declare in mystery form that involved a long delay and is fulfilled at the blowing of the seventh trumpet? Remember. There are many events that still to occur after the seventh trumpet, such as the wrath of God pulled out in the bold judgments in Revelation 16. So the seventh trumpet is not the last thing. There's other stuff that happens after the seventh trumpet. Okay. The battle of Armageddon, the return of Christ, the institution of the millennial kingdom, all of that happens after the seventh trumpet. So it's not the, like the seventh trumpet is the last thing. It's not the last thing. There's stuff that happened. We're not done with judgment at the seventh trumpet. There's other things that happen after the seventh trumpet blows. But what does happen at the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God is completed, the long delay is over, and the mystery that God declared unto the prophets. What was that? What did God declare to the prophets that would be concluded at the blowing of the seventh trumpet? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Remember, 
whatever the long delay in the mystery of God being completed is, it's not the end of all things because other judgments happen after the seven trumpet blows. I want to emphasize that. The mystery involves something the Old Testament prophets declared, but not necessarily understood because it was a mystery. Whatever this mystery is, whatever it is, it comes to an end at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. You've got to understand that. It's very important that you understand that. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes, glory to God, uh, this concludes our first episode of The Long Delay. Father, in the name of Jesus, keep your people according to your will, according to your power, according to your plan, in Jesus' name. Lord God, let these words go in them and dwell in them richly, that they hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they'll never be the same. Lord God, that they will have more respect for your word, Lord God, than ever before, that they will thirst and hunger for your righteousness, for your word, for your love that so delivered us. Father, I'm so glad you did not come before the 20th century. None of us living on planet Earth today would have ever had a chance to spend eternity with you in glory because we have needed to be born, needed to be redeemed, needed to be saved and baptized into the body of Christ in order to be the benefactor of you revealing your mercy, love, and grace in the ages to come. That means you had to wait on us. Yes, Maranatha, Lord, come but come in your time. And I'm so glad it wasn't during the first century. Lord God, I thank you and I praise you. Bless those that hear your word and keep it in Jesus' name. God bless you and keep you. Listen, we love you. Stay tuned for part two and part three. I tell you, you haven't heard it like this before. This is going to bless your socks straight off in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. You must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times.
You must know the times. Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.